this podcast episode is brought to you by Memory Mondays by the Memory Motel in Montauk, New York. The Hamptons Industry Night. You had a rough Monday? Bosses on your ass? Maybe you worked too hard? Maybe you had a little bit too much of a bender over the weekend? We get it. We're here for you. You got DJ Chili spinning on the ones and twos. You got $6 Montauk hard label shots. And you got $11 well drinks. No cover. What better way to come and jam out for the night on a Monday than go to the Memory Motel in Montauk? We'll see you there. Cheers. This episode is also brought to you by Happy Home Property Watchers. These guys do it all. House watching, house cleaning, rental turnover, construction cleaning, babysitting services, concierge, handyman, furniture moving and removal, window cleaning, gutter cleaning, irrigation system maintenance, pool maintenance. They literally do it all. All the way from North Fork, Quag, East Hampton, all the way to Montauk. Happy Home caters to a distinctive clientele whose schedules and priorities require highly personalized, comprehensive services and solutions to meet their evolving needs when it comes to their Hamptons home. Give them a call today at happyhomepw.com. Welcome to another episode of Highly Educated, the podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Sherman, and tonight we have a good one for you. We have two members of the infamous Montauk Project in the house. We have Josh LeClerc and Mark Schiavone. These guys are insanely talented musicians. They've toured with their band for the last 10 years strong plus, pumping out albums, recording music, doing festivals, doing shows, and then crushing it for the local hometown community here in Montauk, East Hampton and beyond. These guys have great stories, bringing them on to share all about their endeavors in the band and what it's like to be in a rock and roll group. So without further ado, welcome Josh and Mark. Guys, welcome. Good to be here, Ryan. Thanks for having us. Yeah, the Montauk Project. Yes, sir. From the east end of Long Island. That's Bringing correct. you sounds that you've never heard before. Amen. Some That's of it. you might have heard some of the sounds before. I hope so. Like a guitar sound, but not sounds like this. Oh, yeah. They're yep. epic. Thank you. They sound epic. Thank you, sir. The sounds. Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> Thanks to uh, Ali Strauss at Mission Sound. <laughs> yeah. He's a, yeah. Yeah. Shout out to your guys. Absolutely. So back to Roots, like we were talking about off air, talking about your guys' childhood and kind of what brought you into music. Mark, you were saying it was like a church-related thing that kind of got you in it, and then that really kind of got your curiosity with music, right? Yeah, the power of Christ just came over me and was <laughs> like, take this guitar when I was three years old. Wow. Um no, yeah, my dad ran like a, he was the leader of a church band and the band would come over to the house and rehearse. So there were instruments there, you know, piano, guitar, drums, stuff like that from right around when I was like five or six years old. Occasionally, the, you know, the whole setup would be there for a few days. I'd wander over and maybe tap the drums. And it's, I remember it scaring me how loud it was when I was just hitting it as a kid. Nobody was home or something. I'm sure they were home, but just maybe not near me. Like pots and pans as well. Yeah. So, you know, then I went over to the piano and just uh, figuring out stuff by ear, you know, stuff you'd hear on TV or whatever, you know, songs like that. A jingle of sorts. Exactly. You know, something like that. Um, And, you know, my dad heard me playing that stuff, so he he got me some lessons. My first teacher was... um, John Hanford. 
No, it was not, although I have probably learned more from him about guitar than uh, a lot of people. It was, uh, I, I can't remember her first name, but it, it was Andrew Baker's wife. Andrew Baker was the owned the music shop in Sack Harbor. It used to be called Harbor Music. Harbor Music. Yep. Wow. Man, Harbor yeah. Music. Harbor wow. Music right in that back Throwback. alley. back. Well, John Hanford was Paul there. Paul Chapin was there. Yep. Legend. Oh, man, that place yeah. was cool. And like, um, it was... Rest in peace to all the cool things It was down in the in back alley right. behind where now Sagtown Coffee is. And I don't know if it's like a law office or an architecture office. Yeah, what a great spot. And it was a little soundproof room. But anyway, the guy who ran, who owned that store, his wife was my teacher first, and I, you know, I would play stuff by ear. And uh, Harvard Music was really cool because they had this thing called the band workshops. When I was like twelve or thirteen, they just got a bunch of guys, like you know, guys and girls actually. Had this drummer Kate who would play with us, and was you know my buddy Brian, my buddy Nick, and. They just found kids around the same age who liked similar music, and they put us, you know, in the same time slot. We all like paid the school thing. It was like a school of rock type thing, you know. But it was right. people you didn't know. Jack and Black so was your like, teacher. Mm, I think John Hanford was <laughs> actually. He was kind of the. It was it him. All comes back to so John I guess he kind of was. Yeah. You know, he wasn't necessarily teaching this exact thing, but he'd be like, "All right, you know, what do you guys want to learn? Let's do." You know, we'd be like, "All right, we do a Nirvana song, Metallica, or whatever." You know, he'd know the riffs mostly. We kind of knew them ourselves at this time. We we're like, but 13. when did it come from diddle to like actual you playing organized with people? Well, right around then, I was 12 or 13, and um, yeah, I already started having bands, and like the first show we had was at Guild Hall, I think. We had one at Stella Maris. That's where like I went to school, but uh, Jasper and I started a band. We also met in church. We were playing for community service. Who's hours. Jasper? Oh, and Jasper. I set this up on purpose. Jasper, uh, Casper Johnroy. I mean, Jasper Conroy <laughs> is our drummer. Yes, sir. He just had a baby. Congratulations uh, yeah, to Jasper. L- little little uh, Noah is her name. Noah Lee. Noah Lee. Yep, uh, Jasper and his wife Jenny, they're a really beautiful little girl, so congratulations to them. Jasper, kick-ass drummer. Yeah, kick-ass Not drummer. Not here tonight, so, but very well noted in all of the music, because you can hear the drums. So we're about, very clearly. yeah, Jasper and I have been playing together since we were 14 or 15, so um, that would make it about 20 years now. Anyway, yeah, so lots of different bands, went to college, played in some death metal bands, one band called Blood Soaked Glory. Blood Soaked Glory. Yeah, they still have a MySpace page, you can find the music. Yeah. Dude, they MySpace, were great MySpace is still active, they're, MySpace.com is still going? I think some of the music pages still exist. I they were wow. great, man. Good know. for them. Yeah. Justin Timberlake bought it, that's the last time. So there's a lot of finger tapping, seven yeah. string guitars, and a lot of just like, I didn't, I didn't sing in that band, you know, it was... I remember the first show I played for that band. I like showed up in a tie dye T shirt. I, I I had just moved down to Florida for college and you know and just met the guys. Their other guitar player quit, and I was went to a couple of rehearsals. Didn't know how like serious they were, and I got there and they were all wearing like gauntlets and all this crazy shit. And they're like, <laughs> what, the, "What the fuck are you wearing?" And I'm like, "Uh, well, you know, I had like black jeans on, like you know, rainbow leather flip flops and a tie dye smiley shirt. face tie dye shirt. Tie dye. Uh, it was a." Stick figure girl, uh, and it said, "Have a nice day." You know, Jesus. I thought it was like ironic. You know, whatever. It's like I thought it was funny and cool. Like you know, and they were like, "What the fuck?" So like they got like some dirty Slayer shirt out of somebody's back seat that I had to put on. They like they're like, "Never wear flip flops again." Like you know, I was like, yeah. "Fuck!" All right, didn't, didn't they say? Or Jira Jr. No, they. Yeah, go. I think they said specifically that it wasn't necro enough. That was correct? that was the clothing yeah. style. Wow. I said they necro. said good for you, man. Yeah. Good for not, you being in that band. You gotta dress more necro. And, and then like, that's how it happened. But also, like the 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 guy who started the band, Alex. He's a great guitar player, great musician. You know, he was super religious Catholic dude. So it was like ironic to me that it was like it had to be so fucking evil. Like one of the songs was called Beauty and the Butcher and the other was like March to the Gallows. You know what you it's know? funny? Like, right, it had to be. Tom Araya of Slayer is also a devout Roman Catholic. 
Catholic, Catholic guilt. guilt. I'm just kidding. By the Montauk Project. Yeah. Speaking of the Montauk Project, Josh Clerk, how you doing? Great, man. How you doing? Good, dude. Yeah. Speaking about your origins, who you are, what you is. Well, I grew up in a family of musicians. Yeah, you so, got lucky. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. My father is an amazing guitarist, and my uncle is a fantastic bassist. Yeah. So I grew up, you know, hearing my dad play hours and hours a day play at a very high level so it was fall asleep to it too absolutely yeah and he Mm. started showing me how to play when i was maybe four or five i honestly don't remember i i I always say when people ask me how long i've been playing the guitar i say for as long as i can remember because that's literally true but i do have there was a picture of myself for as a young child maybe like four or five years old and i'm fingering an e chord so ah. I at least I at least knew how to do something when I right. was maybe four or five. Right, and that's hard. Do a little like fretting hand kind of chord when yeah. you're young. Like that's Dude. a little coordination. But it was little fingers. I, I'll, I'll stress again. You know, it, it was total immersion from day one for me. Yeah, like it you were was thrown into my, it. Isn't my it? there would be videos playing around the house. You know, BB King, Albert King. Yes, I remember the Yes songs live video playing yes is one of those bands that just throws everything in the kitchen sink at you every song <laughs> i love them. like you're they're just getting they're they're one of my favorite underrated Absolutely. oh it's like one of those magicians with the with the napkins they keep pulling out of their like sleeve they just yeah. yes is just filled with surprises and brilliant song. brilliant music some yeah. of my favorite stuff ever incredible yeah, yeah. incredible musicianship with that band steve Unreal. howe yeah bill bruford rick wakeman yeah all those guys are but in other words to summarize you were basically destined to be a i i i yes like I, impossible i, I, I actually think so yeah i think and i that's what i've been taken to saying is that like i didn't really have a choice and i don't mean to say that in a negative way i mean it's right like I, angry hockey I, dad or like yeah, yeah no i see right. it as a blessing but like it really was never a choice for me it's sort of like you was, didn't choose to play guitar. It's a calling. You were born as yeah, a guitar player. That's a, and that might yeah. sound pretentious or whatever, but it is, it, it's an expression of a very deep feeling with inside and well, that's inside of me. And, and if that's yeah. how you feel when you wake up every day, you know it in your bones. That's how, that's Absolutely. how it is. You know what you're attached to. You yep. know what your calling is. You know what you're, you know, you well, I, yeah. And I, I mean, I will just affirm that it's true just from playing with Josh. You Thank know? you. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. I mean, very you know. talented. Yeah. Josh is incredibly talented. Absolutely. You know, and I think, one of the cool things that I think we agree about as guitar players, which makes us, uh, you know, have a good chemistry and sync so well, is like it might sound as sort of esoteric, but sort of the point of what we're doing, the intent. Sure, and yes. um, you know, much of it is is purely to like spread joy and the feeling of being alive and like the best parts of that, yeah. you know, and like sort and that's of all an extension of what he was, yeah, you know, being a catalyst for happiness. You know, um, letting it flow through you kind of like, you know, um, a channel, but not in like, I don't know how to say. It's Um, an extension of your own self. Not not being used, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Every time you release something, it's an extension of what you're what you're feeling at the time, especially musicians. That's why it's very unique as a musician where you kind of get to play what you are in that moment. Yeah. Like an actor, he gets paid to play that role or whatever, but he has to like, you know, yeah, he rehearses for that role. He does it. He studies it. Yeah. Does the research, but a musician kind of is feeling in that role. Sure. Depends on the gig for sure, but true. No, I well, mean I like when you're like, writing and composing right, music. Of course. Yeah, not really. Yeah. I think and like yeah. sure. I, I hope that nobody listens to this and takes it the wrong way. But like you know, I, I in the way that like music, um, in the way that like you know, an artist can be drawing something, you know, showing something deeply intense, or they could be drawing a lighthearted cartoon. Sure. Um, their music can vary in that way. In that you know, a lot of 
music is happening in like a party scenario to just purely be there as high energy or whatever. And then I would like to think that at least our mission part of is it with this band is, you know, there's a different experience from going and hearing even performed amazingly or different um, songs that you are familiar with than coming into creating a new experience by hearing something you've never heard before. It's so different because you really immerse yourself in the experience when you guys play. You really kind of feel it and you can feel it around you. People are all rocking out. Everybody's, you know, jamming and dancing. Everybody's having a good time. Josh is ripping solos. You're fucking ripping solos. Everybody's ripping, like everybody's, Jasper's going crazy on the drums, Leander on bass. Like everybody's ripping everything. So it's like, you guys are like a full force band. The energy is a thousand percent there in every show. Oh, absolutely. Like it's not one of those bands where you're like, oh, they could have like one or two songs where you're like, oh, let's walk away and grab a drink. Like you guys are like the band you don't want to walk away and grab a drink because it's so fucking good. No, we're kicking your ass the whole time. Yeah, and that's great. And even when it's slower stuff, it's melodic and it's it's like this immersed thing. It's not just like, oh, it's a slow track. It's like, no, no, even your slower songs that aren't so upbeat still give you all of these little components to have to listen to as well. I think it all flows really nice. And I'm not, you know, I'm not blowing smoke. I'm a fellow musician just admiring, you know. Thank yeah. you. We appreciate it. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you've 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 been there for a while. I mean, you were even at our South by Southwest show <laughs> in 2014. So. I remember that. Yeah, almost you know? 10 years ago now. Yeah, that was cool. You guys were out of the van. You guys were traveling in a van yep. at well, South by Southwest. Man. I just got rid of that van in the fall. That was a sad day. R.I.P. Wow. You still had it? Yeah, she was going. She was going. I, I actually put it back on the road last summer for <laughs> one last summer. Oh, you guys can't see my face, but it's my jaw is dropped. I'm just like... It's, it was, baffled you still have that man. yeah That's, it did. well man. yeah but it was rusting out i would have i would have kept it going it just wasn't worth it you know no. rusty old van it, it sat by ditch plans for too many years too many winters in the salt air and stuff you <laughs> and know and that's what happens what are you gonna do they can't convert it to another ditch witch so thank you for your service <laughs> yeah we, old van that was yeah I've, I've definitely been a fan for quite some time i remember i bought the first cd you guys ever had too that i i played that in my car probably sat in my cd player for I don't know, three years. CDs, remember those? Yeah, CDs. Very strange. Yeah, Yeah, for those who are younger listeners, CDs were a thing that were plastic and it would play and you would hear music, sort of like a vinyl, but smaller, more compact. You know, so we just recorded a few songs in uh, Brooklyn at Mission Sound with Ali Strauss, which is really cool. And actually, we we put a couple of them out, but I want to remaster them. and, And we were in the process of talking to some mastering studios and it's interesting because the first question is, is this for streaming only or physical as well? And which platforms? Because uh, it matters also what I'm finding out is that each platform has its own threshold. Uh, of which they butcher your music. <laughs> correct. And their own compression algorithms. And it, it, it's not the same anywhere, which is frustrating. Maybe you want to elu- elucidate a little bit on, on what you just said there. Because that, I mean, it's definitely, yeah. The that's... dynamic levels of the tracks. Sure. So, like, I mean, if you were talking about, um, you know, someone who might not be familiar with mixing or something in general, just like, it's more than just the level of an individual instrument. You can kind of think of it like the bass, mid, and treble dials in your car. But if there are, like, a couple hundred of them and very specific and then right. even and then it's even very more specific. complex than that and that you sort of can envelope and turn the sound inside out upon itself in a way so to speak yeah. but anyway it brings out different textures and levels and things like that and it, it's extremely important even though it's not that noticeable in certain circumstances yeah 
Um, but it's really interesting. I actually had no idea like it was that in depth with like each different, but it makes sense completely like all compression algorithms and why they would have, I don't know if I really describe it. Right. I don't know how to master. That's my best understanding of it. I could be totally wrong. So I'm going to correct me. So it's hey, okay. Well, you if you guys do. are kick-ass I'm, musicians. I didn't I'm not afraid to be, masters. I'm not afraid to be wrong. It's okay. Just yeah. let me know. It's important today that people learn to, uh, that it's okay to find out new information and change your opinion. That's called growing. Absolutely. But and there, there, there are still two tracks available for listening though correct even though we correct there so there are two still tracks online right now one's called bombshell and the other one's called highball um there's a third track deadbeat that we haven't released yet um yeah so the state of the industry these days as far as my limited understanding of it sure is that artists especially at our level independent artists generally are not going for the albums thing these days you know like a whole 10 songs or 12 songs it's more shorter eps or singles yeah Yeah. absolutely it's a singles game this day this day and age to try to get it viral or to try to get it hit on that one site or something yeah then that's another good point is that the attention span of the american listening public has been diminishing so you know in the 70s and the 80s everyone wanted albums right you know well, and there was less. Then there, yeah, there was less. Two, like, there that, was only a certain amount of rock bands. There was only a certain amount of people that could afford. Well, because to it was so much more difficult vinyl. to get it it's into so the hard. So this is part of the conversation right. too. The the once the music industry was democratized, which I think is a great thing. You know, now a- anybody can make an album now. Right? Yeah, you can and, do it in your garage and post it on, right. and theoretically anybody can listen to anybody's album now. Right, right. But so the attention span of the American listening public has been declining throughout the past few decades, you know, the 70s and 80s, 90s, it was all about albums. The 2000s rolled around, it became singles, 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 well, right? Well, uh, not necessarily, because even in 2000s, we we're still buying physical of CDs. Of course, yeah, yeah, but you know, that's like, when the, the transition, you know, once file sharing Napster I think literally what made the single pop, and I could, anybody could correct me, but I think like iTunes yeah. marketplace I, iTunes. when you could pay one dollar twenty nine cents for a single yeah, that, that was, was a big thing. Like you could pull apart the whole that album and just thing. buy one. You didn't single. have yeah. to buy the CD and, well, to get think. the song that you wanted well, to hear. And think yeah. next to each single, remember they have a little popularity rating yep, bar. Of course, yeah. So if you're sitting there looking at a full album and you don't have a lot of money and you're a sixteen year old kid, you're going to you buy twelve songs you like, but you have one Not song one and you're going to buy the most popular song that everybody's talking about in school. You might buy that song. Absolutely, you know I'm saying like there's a peer mm-hmm. component too as sure. well to music that has shifted. Right, the whole because you know if someone's which getting in your car, you got to be playing the coolest music yeah. or whatever. You know, but which these, is why they all have the Montauk project. These days, right? right. <laughs> these they days, though, the yeah, right. Project. These days, yeah. even it's it's shrinking even more, which I find interesting because now it's days it seems to be it's all about TikTok. You know, who's blowing up on TikTok? Do, question randomly out of the blue here to kind of throw it back into the Montauk project and the foundations too. For this purpose, I mean, you guys, there is an age gap between you guys, Josh and Mark. Yes, there is. So did you grow up actually listening to the band before you joined the band? Or? I was aware of them for sure when I was in high school and I'd heard their songs. But um, Mark was, the age gap is actually larger than, you know, I was in, Mark, I think Mark was in high school when I was in like fourth grade or something like that. Mark, you so. old fuck. <laughs> so yeah, I was in high school. And that was when the Montauk Project were starting to make moves. So I was certainly aware of them. After I graduated, they'd had two members leave the band, including a lead guitarist. So I was looking for a gig, 
And I'd known Mark. We'd met a few times through the Stephen Talkhouse outrageous open mics. Yeah. Rest in peace. Those were the yeah. best. Yeah. Those were, awesome. were so much fun. And I people really... know the Stephen Talkhouse yes, from this absolutely. podcast because we've had multiple people on involved with the yeah. Talkhouse. So but that, yeah, that open mic they I, used to do I, I, was I, such a cool program. I would not be the musician I am today if it was, was not for the Stephen Talkhouse. So shout out. Um, wow, yeah. But yep, we met at one of those. So I'd known of him and auditioned, and it all worked out. I think I was 19 years old, right, when I joined? Yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, I was a, y- a young yeah, I remember sure. we were talking on Facebook and having you come over. Yeah. And uh, yeah. how intimidating was that? Were you like it shaking? Was very intimidating, especially since I'd been warned. By, by people around Wait. town. <laughs> I was like, I, I would, uh, uh, some, uh, another local artist had told me that they had very high standards. And I was like, yeah, you know, I think I think I can do it. But, you know, a- anytime anybody says that. The uh, Montauk Project. Well, was so that was like 2015 or 2016 or 17, maybe? 16, well, I think. I think or it was in like January of 2016. Because yep. Maddie and Chris were the original uh, lead guitar and bass player. Then Jack and Kevin were there for, for a while. They left around November or December of 2015. So Jasper and I played one show as a two-piece where I plugged a five-string bass into like an AB splitter and put an <laughs> octave up pedal on it and put it through a guitar amp and a bass amp and just played a bunch of our riffs and like screamed and like it was not that great but uh we didn't we didn't want to cancel the gig i I forget where it was show must go on yeah so uh then josh yeah josh joined but you know it might have been intimidating for you but i know i remember for a fact like we played together i don't know if it was the first rehearsal but it was in the first two or three where i was like man like i really like playing with this guy because josh listens man and maybe that's part of his training at the talk house there because you can't really keep up with some of those cats unless you're paying attention to what's going on you know yeah. they'll let you play for a minute and then they'll kick you off stage if you're not letting everyone do what they should do and if you're overstepping you know what you should do how much or how loud or whatever or just don't know what you're doing you learn yeah. those lessons josh, the hard way yeah. josh yeah. knows what he's doing you know and and it was very apparent right away very like easy and it was like this is gonna work yeah and there wasn't there was no there's never been a question about you know not whatever that there should have been, but you know, it's Josh's Josh rocks, man. But now did you have that same hesitation as an older person with a 19 year old trying to join the band? Were you like, Oh, he's 19. Like, is this going to work out? Well, like, I mean, I wasn't like 40, you know, I'm like not... he can't even drink. <laughs> no, but it's like, no, he can't even drink. Uh, yeah, that was an issue. Bars. That was an issue. You know what I'm saying? Like that the was age thing. Was that... I meant it more like that. Yeah, 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 like, no, it was... So... I was logistically. It was an issue. I think I was 27, 28, something like that. So it wasn't like, right. You yeah. guys were all older, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there was, there was a couple points where like we went to a couple gigs. I think it was pianos Ni- in the or city. Niagara. Was it pianos? It was, pianos. It was twenty-one and up. So we had to like fudge, fudge, like sneak him through the side. Like he wasn't technically allowed to play there. But we're like, yeah. we're not gonna not play. It was like kind of stupid. But like you know, for them it's just a liability thing. We're not. You know, we weren't like a anybody. You know, they they didn't know who we were or anything like that to like make any exceptions you know and for them to have somebody underage is just probably too much of a liability so True. that's their rule. right yeah i get it so i get yeah. it so you know there were a couple hurdles but it really wasn't that big of a deal yeah you know it's like he wasn't in high school anymore so it wasn't like anything like that yeah yeah and uh, that's and and so once you guys started playing your first few when what because i know you guys aren't you know you're not a cover band you write your own songs it's original music that takes a while to kind of gel with somebody for a second and then get that comfortability. Or Josh came right out of the gate with some dope riffs that we still play today. Yeah, that's like powerful. from those first couple of weeks. Like, wow. you know, 
one of the songs he you know was like a, i think he and i were both like he was playing something and i started playing something off of it and it just that's what happened you know and then the second riff was all josh you know and we still play that song in every long set we'll play that song you know it's one of our heavy hitters we pull out at the end it just yeah. kind of slaps you in your face and then has like a undetermined jam at the end that's different every single time now just to dive more into kind of because now we talked about both your origins kind of how you got together in terms of creating music itself i'm speaking as the person i'm kind of talking like i'm also not a musician myself but just for the people who aren't musicians like who how, how do you kind of comprise or decide how to comprise when you're making music, do you just kind of go off whatever you're feeling in that moment, in that time, or is it something you're kind of planning out of? We want it to kind of sound this way and we're going to mold it. That's a great question. Well, I think it happens differently depending on the situation. You know, sometimes we'll be together and, you know, Mike, our keyboardist, will just lay something down. And then, you know, or somebody, a guitar player will lay a riff down or something like that. And we'll just jam on it for a while. You know, we'll jam for like 10 minutes and I'll roll the iPhone voice memos. You know, then you go back and you listen to it and you see, oh man, you know, eight minutes of that was trash. But there's this one spot, you know. And then you take that one spot and you try to start hearing stuff. Like, at least that's been my process lately. Yeah. Trying to compose. Yeah, I mean, uh, Mike joined the band about a year ago, maybe a little more actually. Um, and having a keyboard player has been really opened a lot of doors as far as writing. <laughs> it opens every door. Yes, if does. you don't have a keyboard player, you're fucking up. Yeah, I'm sorry. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does. It, I couldn't imagine without having him. It now. fits in every it band. Give me a work. genre um, where it doesn't fit into. Death metal, punk. You could figure out. You could figure out mm. synth, Dragon Force. You could figure out something. You can I don't, make it work. I don't think that like the Ramones or or no effects would be better with keys, but I will say, yeah, I guess, I guess not saying better, but like, you know, finding one that couldn't enhance a band. Sure. Um, Such an instrument like that. Regardless though. Yeah. It's, it's helped a lot because, you know, one thing is there's certain songs where I was playing rhythm or, you know, just playing to have some support behind my vocals where Josh might be doing something more complicated. And now that we have the keys, some parts I don't have to play guitar, which allows me to focus more on the vocals in that moment, which is great and freeing. And, you know, obviously I can probably perform better when that's the only focus at that moment. Um, A thousand percent. So it's been liberating in that regard. It has been challenging in that obviously there's more equipment in another person. So as far as coordination and setting up on stage and, you know, honestly, a big struggle we're having with now is figuring out stage levels with having more amps and having, you know, an instrument that has a softer attack than an electric guitar and making right. sure that it's not getting buried, you know, so that, that is a new hurdle. And unfortunately we don't play 200 shows a year. So it's like, it's taking, um, you know, a little bit of time to work out exactly how to do that. So yeah, Friday we're playing at the talk house. Uh, well, this, this probably will be heard after this, but anyway, we're actually planning on facing the guitar amps to the wall behind us because uh, recently we, we saw that, that band Les Zeppelin who plays there often did that. And they Love also that. have like a screeching guitar sound and it's always too effing loud for their mics and monitors, not their fault. It's just, and it's also like we have our amps at the lowest volume they'll be at to have the adequate tone to get the full bass and mids of the amp. Right. So it's not like we're cranking the shit out of them. It's just, it's hard to like get that growl and the nice tone and not be too loud. How important so, is that, though, to the integrity of your sound? I guess I'll circle that back it's, to it. I mean, uh, it's, it's the most important thing, really. 
because it's your signature that's that, that growl tone, of your tone it's the of signature of all music really i would say is sound and it's the thing that can't really be notated but like what's the difference between a rock band and a folk band it's the sound of the instruments the way the instruments sound you know an acoustic guitar sounds much different than a les paul plugged into a marshall stack you know, so right. if you rip and, it all down to bare bones and make it all clean sound on acoustic, it's all going to sound somewhat in the same realm. Right. I mean, if the song if the song calls <laughs> for an, an arrangement like that, but with yeah. the, with a lot of the music that we play, in order to really sell the the music, we need to be able to capture these sounds. You know, and these sounds are um, loud amplifiers with electric guitars. Like all the great rock and roll guitar sounds you've heard, are generally are amplifiers turned up pretty loud are you still rocking an orange amplifier mark yeah i still have that one that i've been working with for a while now i probably had it like 10 or 11 years i now. remember that thing yep um you know why i remember because it? it's bright orange that company's genius <laughs> it's great yeah, yeah. um the smartest marketing i brought it ever. yeah i had it in southwest when we were there they they put a picture of it of my amp on their social media on instagram which was kind of cool i felt i was like Oh shit! And then Thomas Pridgen from the Mars Volta commented on the photo, and I was like, "Oh shit! What the fuck? <laughs> oh know? shit! It's happening! Yeah. It's happening!" Speaking of which, the Mars Volta, and I don't know, I got a couple tickets for them in September. Do you uh, hear they're yeah, coming back? That's a good point to kind of segueing from shows and venues. The city, comparatively, in the shows there, like guys like Terminal Five. Yeah. What's it like playing a show in the city and playing a show out here? Is it completely different energy because your fan base, like you have a hometown fan base here, so it's like you really feel energy differently here or do you get energy differently at the show it out there? It is completely different. On if I'm being honest, most of the times I feel like it's not worth it going out there. Um I mean we've played a few in my tenure with the band, we've played a few shows at a couple bars in the city. And it's generally been the same experience. You know, we'd show up, play to a room of maybe twenty to thirty max and then we'd go home with less money than we came in with. So for me, at least at this point, it doesn't seem like it's worth it. I mean, if you're opening up for a band with a following, then that's another story. You know, if you have a right. cr crowd that you're going to play to, or or you bring a busload of if, people yeah, to the like, show like and, you, and you promote yeah. it, you hype it up, yeah. and you get people there, then that's a different story. When we too. did the album release for Belly of the Beast in 2014, also that right. same spring, we had a busy spring, South by Southwest, and the album release so many people came from Montauk to pianos. So it was like we had that room packed out. It was very cool. But yeah, you know, the city can be difficult. I think one of the other ways we've had success there is to do sort of a, a show trade with, a, you know, some bands we know from there, like these guys, the Velvics, are pretty Velvics. cool. So Great rock and roll band yeah, from Brazil yeah. in New York City by way of Brazil. Yeah, you should have them, them on your show when they come play at the talk house. Great rock and roll band. Check them out. But uh, yeah, they, you know, we'll play at a talk house or play some Montauk with them and then they'll hook us up with a slot in Brooklyn with them or something like that. So that's worked out good because then, you know, we kind of can share each other's audiences with each other and, and it makes it worth the trip and you know you're going to hear ears that are perceptive to good rock music. And I think that's what we're talking about too before was a little bit about that was kind of how there's just so much music out there. It's like even yeah. as good as you guys are and as talented as you guys are as musicians, which there's not, you know, there's, there's, there's talented musicians, there's talented musicians, there's a lot of variety, but you guys are talented musicians and it's not a matter of like, oh, the, the music's not there. It's like, no, the music's there. There's so much fucking music. Yeah. Even in New York City, like it to compete a, it, with all the bands doing shit in New York City, there's a million bands. The doing market original for original acts is incredibly yeah. oversaturated. It's like swinging yeah. a bat in the yeah. dark. No, you know, and, then, you, you and really, there's yep. in the city and other places, there's you know a pay to play culture that is just horrible and toxic. And like, 
you know, there's all kinds of vultures in the industry. Like we just played Great South Bay last week, and immediately we had we had a cool interview, and you know, immediately after somebody else approached me and was like trying to sell us on buying an interview where they come to videotape us and they're talking about numbers like three to five thousand dollars for them to film a ten minute segment. That goes on to a um, a local Long Island TV show. Yeah, I mean, it might hit like the boroughs, but it was yeah. one of the upper local stations, right. and it's sort of like what, no. you know. And then I said, whatever hey, happened to just you know, news so, and media being media and news? Uh, right. yeah. What? No. No, I was like, hey, you know, that's just a, like a little bit absolutely ridiculous to be asking for bands that like, you know, are making hundreds of dollars for festival slots, you know, and you know. The guy who was messaging me was like, well, you know, maybe you guys play 10 more shows. And then, you know, it's like, wait, what? You think that we should play 10 shows so that you should interview us for 10 minutes? You, you're saying oh that one of your minutes is worth God. one of our shows. Right. Like, you know, it's I'm like, baffled. I know Don't that's not what he was saying, but, but that, that is that is how he know. communicated. He broke it down mathematically yeah. for him like that's a small child. So, yes, that's what he deserved. I'm sure yeah. his, his heart was in the right place. I'm sure it was. But, uh, but I mean, this hey, is an unfortunate. It felt like an MLM, you know. It was. This is an unfortunate trend is that a, a lot of people will try to prey on naive artists who are hungry for a break, you know, and maybe if they've got some money, you know, oh, look, this pitch says that this show will reach 75 million television. And now everything's right. What Just is that like, really saying? Well, that's one of them right yeah. there, and it's off right yeah. now. So right. that doesn't, and it's not on that channel. So well, it's, it's like, that doesn't crap. mean that it's... It's just analytics and numbers and all the crap they throw at you, right? Yep. And that, that's what it's about. And I think actually tying it perfectly back into kind of like the localism of this, what we're talking about, is playing the show out here, instant energy. Absolutely. You guys go to Best Pizza and you guys play a show. That place is packed house. Everybody's having a good time. Kids are raging. Everybody's throwing it on social media. People are, you have a fan base. There's a reason why this podcast, I'm competing against millions of other podcasts. Yep. Everybody else is doing it across America. But if I start my little market here where I know people and I have friends and I have people that I can interview and I have a base here of listeners, that's how you start your thing. Yep. Just like you guys did in over the years. And you've been doing it since 20, you know, 2010s yeah. in that area. So it, it's a process. It's not something that just bakes away overnight. And I think you guys are, so I think like I in anything, like you're saying, like any a business or a, a idea like this, like a podcast or a band, like you need sort of your base to go somewhere to, to jump off, you know? Sure. Um, but then it's sort of like, how do you, no matter what it is, if you want to grow, where do you go from there? Where's the next you know? step? It's and hard. I think that goes back to what I was saying about the different choices you can make in where you want to go musically. So... This slight pause is to tell you about a premium canned cocktail called Encore by the Talk House. If you're not familiar, the Stephen Talk House is a legendary music venue serving Long Island for over 30 years, but now they have their own cocktail. That's right, Encore. With five flavors, exciting flavors to try, there's really no bad way to go. Grab a can from the liquor store, take it to the beach, have a good time. Uh, quicker and already written out would be to choose covers and you know create a niche for your band like you have like 80s theme bands etc like that band rubik's cube they're fucking awesome you and know what i mean yeah, they but money, obviously right? they're never going to have a single on a chart because that's just not what they do they don't right make they're not songs. shooting for that right. they don't pay, create new their, songs right living so it's like you know that you know maybe a quicker reach or a more surefire way to get a income. level of success right. and, and if you're just purely met you know talking about income but also that is going to have limits that's only can go 
that can only go so far, so to speak. Right, you can be the busiest band in the world, but you're, you're you can make but, a lot of money. Um, but but you, the notoriety is a little bit more difficult so to. Uh, I also to think one one aside, there's something to be said about, um, you know, the fulfillment of pulling new material out of the air. Yes, which is an incredibly satisfying thing. I am honestly less experienced with it than Mark, for example. I uh, I would liken it more to discovering. Exactly. And yeah, because you're listening for it. It's there. It's out there in so like the, the combinations of sound. So the the common, you know, in Western music, there are only so many notes. At least is how we define it. You know, there are twelve notes. You know, so there the combination of these notes mathematically already exist. The there's you know there aren't infinite combinations of these, technically speaking. But I don't think humanity will ever realize all of them. You know, I think there are sure. enough. But I don't know if it is. But maybe uh, mathematically, it might not be. Might infinite. not be. I'm but saying, but, it's but seemingly but, infinite. It, it, seemingly yeah. infinite. It's yeah. virtually infinite. But still, like those things exist. You know, um, it's just a combination of numbers and wavelengths. So it's just right. discovering ones that you like next to other ones that you like that somebody else hasn't put there before. So sure. that's a great way to put it. So something, if anyone who has not yet seen Peter Jackson's Get Back... I haven't. Oh, you must. You okay. must. You absolutely must. Done. I haven't seen um, all of it. I have to watch it. Um, there's an iconic scene in it where Paul McCartney is there with a, his bass, and he's just like doing this Chuck Berry thing, you know, boogie-woogie thing, yeah. and just singing random syllables. And a, a subtitle appears on the screen... Paul is searching for new song ideas because, you know, they were on a deadline at that time. They had to, right. to, to, to deliver new songs. So, like, they said, oh, strap for material. Paul begins searching for new song ideas. And within, you know, maybe two minutes of him doing this boogie-woogie thing on the bass and just singing random syllables, he starts singing. Right. And then 20 minutes later, they are starting to write Get Back. So that's what I mean by pulling stuff out of the air. He was there with his bass. He was listening for the melodies. Who knows where they come from? You know, that's a whole other topic of the conversation. Right. Well, it can slap but, you in the face from any yeah. which way. Or right. Anything. So it's like writing a song doesn't take 20 years, but being able to pull the right song out of the air can take 50 years. I don't know. Absolutely. But, you know, could, a song yeah. could take 30 seconds. But, but can I talk about the difficulty of not just doing that, what you guys are talking about, pulling and being inspired from the air, kind of pulling from different inspiration, doing all these things, right? But now we're talking about, it's not like you're all just singer-songwriters. You're doing it in a band. As a band. So now you're yeah. communicating with others. Now uh -huh. it's not just, oh, I can pull things out of the air. Can I pull things out of the air and can the drummer carry along with what I'm sure. playing? Sure, and then there's can compromising and, yep. and, right. and having the emotional intelligence That's not all to get upset when everyone disagrees That's the with most you. important thing <laughs> as, in, as far as writing with a band is that you need to not be married to your ideas. You can't be attached to your ideas. You can love your ideas and you should and you should suggest right. them and feel free to be able to suggest them. If, if you're not, then that's a problem. But if you're married to them, that's a, a worse problem because then you start getting precious and that's I, where progress gets held up right there. I think well, that anything to progress, yeah. right? That's I think that's why thing. they say musicians are so good at like learning in general because in order to be a collaborative musician like that, you have to be open to the idea that this idea that you just loved might get destroyed, but you might fall with a fall more in love with a different Absolutely. idea that yeah. you didn't know about 10 seconds mm -hmm. before that's the beauty of so it's like the openness that it requires mm -hmm. to get to that end result 
sort of changes you as a human being. Sure. You know, because you, I think you realize that openness allows for change and growth. I don't think there's anything more fun I could say in my life. And, and I do podcasting now. I'm a photographer. I do all these different things, right? There's not a moment I could ever compare to than either A, playing live in front of people and them cheering afterwards for you, or B, creating music out of thin air with others and yep. having it stick. And you're like, holy fuck, wait, what was that? Play what that again? Did, what did we just do? What did you just play? What did we Record just that. do? Record that That's shit. crazy. Record I can't that. believe we just like, did that. Don't forget you know? that. Like four stoners in a room, like don't forget that. <laughs> don't forget that <laughs> yeah. track. Yeah. So yeah. Like, Record it. That's why like, like uh, you know, and I feel like- That's magical. That is a, f- that you feel it. You get goosebumps and it literally yeah, is electric those goosebumps. And like, through I, your veins. That's better than anything you could ever have, take, ingest. That is the best possible scenario for anybody's- mental state is that that is the music like that's what i love about music is that electricity you can just like yeah oh yeah like that and it's like that's the universal language so like that that energy you're talking about like that's what i hope you know josh and i'm talking about sharing happiness you know being a catalyst for happiness like that's that energy those goosebumps i want everybody to have as many goosebumps on their forearms as possible and that's how I feel when I go to your shows, and that's no bullshit. Thank you. Yeah. And like honestly, and I, you know, I go see bands that are, you know, world touring bands, and I feel the same way. And then I can come see a show at some grimy dive bar and see you guys play. It's packed house, and I have the same fucking energy. You know, it really is. It is like that. It, it when you feel music like that, it's different. Sure, and, and it it's trans it transcends genre and it, it transcends language. Oh sure, you know, yeah. nothing um, to do with genre language. I can right, be up there listening like, to. Uh, uh, Los Amigos Invisibles and they're ripping house and I don't understand a word they're saying but you know what I'm I'm right there yeah yeah shout out to Mambo Loco and Conga Cartel great oh my god Latin, yeah Latin bands incredible uh, local yeah. b- or Latin and, band inc- incre- incredible yeah. oh yeah unreal yeah. it's just it's it's like that it's and, and we were talking about before like the catalyst and what kind of brings it in the town out here on the east end of, of Long Island we're specifically speaking about the Hamptons and, and this general area it's hard because there's not a whole lot of music venues. Now Clubhouse is finally around. They have a, a music venue too. So that's like another place to play. But really in reality, there's not a lot of venues unless you're going to like dive bars. No, there really are none. And so there's no capacity. Think about how much you want to expand, right? You can only sell out how many dive bars before you want right, to play a real fucking exactly. show. I've seen, you know, uh, I've talked to some local businesses that are trying to get bands to play and stuff and realistically talk, telling them what, what – we would need for it to be worth it to play to come bring the entire backline, a PA system, do our own sound. And it's like, that's, that's, that's hours and hours of setup and work. And well, you know, I don't know. So asking a venue to pay you 1200 bucks and it's like, they're just a restaurant to pay 1200 bucks. Like they might not, you know, it's not realistic for everyone. Right. It's not like, but it's like there's six hours of work for five guys. And it's like, we got all the stuff we got to do. You know, it's like, it's not. It becomes unworth it for less than actually oh, make, sure. taking home some money. So it's frustrating. So there aren't really venues. So the amount of shows are sort of limited. It would be better to save the energy for more so one-off events throughout the year, like six or seven big events, and you really put all your time and energy into those and kind of make those worth it and make those the powerhouses and kind of set your releases about, around that. Is that kind of more of a thought process now? Yeah, that ha- has to be the game plan. Um, you know, quality over quantity just because it's impossible. And you guys can pack shows with the right time given beforehand. Obviously, summer's busy because everybody's doing everything, so it's always hard to get everybody somewhere. But all you have to do is have a couple of big shows a year to really have a blast and a launch pad to produce 
a big single or a big this. You, know, you right. just need that first local push to really kind of set it off. So I think that's really what we have out here too is a launch pad, even though there is no a lot, you know, there's not a lot of venues, there's not a lot of places to play as musicians, which does suck. But if you make it worth it and strategize and kind of make it your, your moment. Yeah. You know, Gives us more time to, to work on new stuff too. Right. Gives you a little, instead of trying to play yeah. shows every three times, but that's how musicians make a lot of money these days, right? You, that's the battle between what you guys are working with. It's you make money off touring and merchandise, right? right? Yep, exactly. You're not making money off singles and, and things unless you're Lady Gaga or some giant artist that has a 360 deal with some record label and they're making bank. You know, it's, it's, you're not really getting that kind of massive exposure or turnout from a label that can buy 500,000 copies of yeah. your single. Cause no one, no one buys music anymore. So. Right. So yeah. it's like, oh, this and that. If you can just kind of get that ego out of it, which I think was what you guys have done at this stage, is like, oh, get the ego of, oh, it's not, you know, we don't have to be the next Led Zeppelin, but like we're producing incredible music and an experience, and that's what's important. Right. And that's what's going to sell itself and kind of take off from there. It's going to produce more from that. It's not like a mindset of, oh, we're trying to be this. It's we're creating what we're creating, and it hopefully... Yeah. yeah, I mean, just last night, Josh and I spent like three and a half, four hours working on something that has more or less a disco dance beat. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, so that's definitely not like a Zeppelin way, but it, it definitely could still rock, you know? It could. I mean... We're not sure where it's going to go. It's nowhere near finished, but... Yeah. Uh, right, but you make these little funky things and I, you have to you try know, it. Right? I have, a, a personally, uh, and Mark as well, I know, like both of our palliative influences is very diverse and eclectic sure so i have been you know talk about your influences if you oh yeah for sure well i mean as a guitar player and that's if i'm being totally honest that's what i am first and foremost is i am a guitar player sure for sure i mean guys like eric clapton and jeff beck probably come to mind first Mm. and then the next you know Dwayne allman and Dickie Betts from the Allman Brothers. Yeah. Those were huge. Yeah. B.B. King, Freddie King, Albert King. The Very th- melodic the, the, players. The three choosing. kings. Yeah. yeah. And also, i very much into, like, I like the headier, more cerebral players, like guys like Alan Holdsworth, rest in peace. Yeah. Anybody who is interested in guitar at all must go listen to Alan Holdsworth, for sure. He's definitely not a household name, but I think maybe 200 years from now he will be. <laughs> there you go. But um, um, and outside of just guitar playing world, you know, I, I I really just love music so much. So I've always said there's something in every style that I can appreciate. So, sure. You know, lately I've been really into the Beatles. Um, you know, I've been digging Prince stuff like that. You know, I love pop music. I love. 80s R&B, 90s R&B, you know, Janet Jackson, you know, stuff and like that, that. And all of that yeah. eclectic influence is what's going to kind of shape you into this very unique player. Absolutely. Right? If you're yeah. always playing this one way or listening to this one style, you get a little skewed. You kind of want a little variety to mix it up. And even if you're like a straight hardcore, let's say you're a hardcore metal guy or if you're like a hardcore pop guy or whatever you are, like, you know, whatever your genre is, it's good to dive outside the box because then you get your inspiration kind of shifted a little bit. You're like, oh, wait, but... I went from like death metal to reggae music, and now there's like yeah. a weird little beat I didn't recognize, or like yeah. a weird little riff I could maybe play. Yeah, or like, I don't know if anyone else has ever noticed this, but like, you know, in high school, I used to listen to a lot of hardcore, and they have all these like breakdowns, like bands like Every Time I Die, The Chariot, and Dillinger would do these like 
two over three kind of triplet breakdowns. Yeah. And like similar feeling you'll hear in so many hip hop songs now. It's just like they're only rapping rapping in triplets. Triplet. You know, it's like that sounds like a metal rhythm and it's like funny like being like, you know, when you're like smoke a little joint and you be like, why does this sound like this metal riff? You're like, it's the same vibe. Someone's just illustrating it differently. You know, it's like drawing the same picture with crayon or paint or something. So Jay Z and Lincoln Park were just on it back then. Oh yeah, they, they were, were way ahead. Of, they it, were on you know? it. That yeah. was great. Right. Yeah. So right now, what we need is like all the members from Every Time I Die because the singer just quit or sorry, they kicked them out. I was really sad. I was pissed. I had tickets. Um, <laughs> The singer's great. They just need to get one of the mumble rappers to front the band, and that's going to be the, <laughs> the biggest new genre Fuck yeah. of music. Yeah. Nice. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it, could, it could be. It could be. I'm not serious. That's right. that's not the Montauk. That's not the Montauk Project's nope. direction. But it could no. be somebody's direction yeah. if you're listening to this. Sure. Get out there. Get after it. Mm. You might discover a whole new category. It might even exist. We all just might be silly. It might even be already there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So much music. We don't know. Well, I mean, there is the abominable musical movement known as crunk core i've never heard of this can you teach the <laughs> i don't know what this is either <laughs> it sounds like a young man's game well it is, it is exactly how it sounds uh there's there was a band called broken side okay back in the day and basically it's like you know pop rap like little john crunk kind of Vibes ah, like with, with whistles in the background. But with, and they're, big drum they're line all beats. they're all dressed like they're hanging out at Hot Hot Topic, and like underneath the auto tune vocals, it's a. Ooh, you know, so it's a metal. Thing. It's it's like hardcore, like post hardcore metalcore. Music's just meets, getting all weird. Meets pop rap. Anything's possible. Yep. I guess that's what I was talking about almost. I don't <laughs> well, know. Think, but think about it, though. Anything is possible in music. I know it's possible. true. I mean, you got to remember, we often forget ago. Limp Biscuit happened. Limp, they happened. <laughs> Limp Biscuit just, happened. Like, they just released a new record last year, and we, we listened to it, it together, didn't we? It was very horrible. It was really bad. It I was, tried, even ironically, it's not good. It was, I thought, <laughs> I thought, I thought it was, personally, I thought good. it was hilarious. It's funny. It's called Still Sucks. Right. Too. That's the name of the record. That's perfect. So, I mean, you can't even make fun of it because they already. Yeah. 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 There's a couple. We tried to. I think there's an acoustic one on there, too. I don't know. It's kind of funny. Music's getting funny now. There's just like everything. You can. And that's the difference is that like 30 years ago, they didn't have all these like synths and beats and weird machines that made all these sounds. They had like. You know, some they had like the doors, and that guy was experimenting. Mm. You know, well, actually, experimenting. No, thirty years that. ago, they did <laughs> yeah. have synths. Fifty years, we're getting, yeah. we're just old now. Oh yeah, now yeah. we're old. Yeah, thirty yeah. years ago, it was like two thousand. They did. <laughs> no, no, not, yeah, not yeah. exactly. But that was nineteen ninety. They had the Roland eight hundred eight by the then. 70s there were too. drum machines, but yeah. you know that was probably right when Pro Tools, like version one point was probably two thousand. Can we like, can we talk about that as musicians? 91. Now we're all three different eras, right? So <laughs> Mark was the analog era, a hundred percent. I and mean, then what do you, I'm saying in, in like teens, right? Because you I'd were say. definitely analog I an, era because no, I was the cusp I had of like, an MP3 player when I was 15 that my grandfather got me for Christmas and it worked on real player and it could hold 11 songs. Oh, bitch. shit. <laughs> so no, I say it in a sense of like, and music it was shaped recording. like one of those shitty little uh, flashlights that you'd get at like CVS. Like, 
There wasn't even GarageBand when you were in high school, you know? Like, there wasn't... Um, there was Pro no. Tools, though, so, for so sure. That's what I'm saying. No. No? no. When you were in high no, school? Yeah, there were, yeah, there was Pro yeah. Tools, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. was. Yeah. Late 1990s, everyone started switching over to DAWs, but, I feel like. But, but mm-hmm. I'm saying, like, in reality, right? Like Not we're accessible about, to you. We're talking about three to, different to, groups of musicians right. here. He's he's okay. probably a few years... He's a few years older than me. He, where I'm a few years older than you. You know, we have this, like, gap in our ages where, like, he came into analog. I came into the... The, the fucking face first head into glass of the right. tech era. And then you got the, Hey, people have fucked this up or have done things enough to where we can kind of, now we kind of know where we're at. And you got like, now you had the reins of like yeah. after the, everybody else tested it out. Well, I um, was probably an, when did you uh, first discover yeah. music technology? I'm, a, this is where I'm, I'm probably where I'm going. A, a bit of an anomaly because, because in my own upbringing, you know, we, I talked before about oh, right, yeah. my house and, I mean, we were we were listening to CDs and tapes when I was growing up. Still, like I remember, my dad had cassettes. We would play cassettes in the car. We'd play CDs in the car. One of the CDs we used to listen to was Grand Funk Railroad, Closer to Home. Wow, great, great. Uh, under great. unsung early seventies mm-hmm. rock record, hard great. rock record. So that was you know that that kind of stuff. And you know, we would be I would watch with my dad. You know, I would watch instructional guitar VHS tapes. So literally VHS, and this was like 1999. So, right. so th- th- I was still doing VHS. Still tape. analog. But as far but then as in high school, you yeah, there would have been. You I mean, as had... far as the whole iTunes thing, uh, that started, you know, maybe when I was like seven or eight, and I was just it just totally blew me away. And I actually discovered a lot of music. That's how I got into. I feel like this is something that we all shared is that we all were very much immersed into heavy metal for a, a well, good period of and that I, was how i discovered a lot of that was, was through itunes really can i say something about heavy metal music that i don't think gets enough credit a, a thing with heavy metal music what, that it's i fucking think awesome well, yeah well, yeah but i'm saying people that don't understand because there's a lot of people out there that don't like heavy metal sure music, right like you turn it That's on in the okay. car for somebody and they're like oh what yeah. is this yeah. shit you i'm know, not like, going to try to convince anybody ever again yeah. i'm doing that <laughs> right yeah. exactly so that my point is is that there's a lot of people out there that don't like heavy metal music, right? Like everybody. I'm not gonna like name John. Like you know, you a lot could of be people any don't person. like dogs, right? Exactly. <laughs> that's true. But yeah. if you, but when if you're a musician, that's the difference. Because when you're a musician and you look at metal music, you I don't care what you say about oh I don't like it or it doesn't sound good or whatever. You can't argue that those guys are playing music. No, like, that is they are musicians. That is musicianship. Any musician are, can appreciate it. Yes, yeah. like they are doing very difficult things that not many people can do. And I'm not saying like just the regular blast yeah. beat, whatever people, but I'm saying, you know, real metal musicians that have great metal bands. I really you can't wish... see past that musically. I no. mean, you're just crazy. I can I, appreciate, yeah. I can't, I can listen to a pop song and be like, Oh, this isn't for me. I don't really love it, but right. it has good musicianship. And you can appreciate the production. And while I, we and a lot of others can really appreciate screaming and can see it as musical and as energy. Uh, I can understand why some people might, not like it especially at first like why it would just be off-putting because a scream is not supposed to be a pleasant noise you know but in much the way that like a gong isn't necessarily a pleasant noise but in a certain song or whatever anyway not my point but like i actually really wish a lot of bands would do um what like opeth does where they combine very talent you know really great singing that isn't too emo because some of these like 
right. band no, metal bands Mikhail that do they, it's not and it's right? not too yeah and yeah. not too theatric like nope. i like dream theater but it sounds like opera you know and, and or even dream, like dream bruce dickinson like from Iron i don't know i love and i don't know how else to call it but like you know talking about getting into like performing a song but also when i'm listening to a song i also like i don't know i'm living it so like it doesn't really make sense, but I don't know how else to say it other than the suspension of disbelief. Like, when it's too theatrical or too emo, right. I lose. The song loses me. I'm well, not, like, in the fucking zone anymore. I'm not, right. I'm with not getting pitted anymore. Specifically, m- m- what's his name? Mikhail Ackerfeld, correct? Is that? Yeah. Uh, he sing When he sings, he is incredibly soulful. Oh, Like, God, he reminds yeah. me of, like... I mean, not to actually, not actually, but like, you know, like a blue eyed, so he sounds like a blue eyed soul singer. Sure. And and then he goes into some of the crispest and cleanest, most most terrifying, terrifying, but well enunciated death metal growls you will ever hear. He is definitely like so contained and controlled. Uh Um, I would, if, if no one has ever listened to Opeth, I would say listen to Ghost Reveries front to back, and that would be, you know, that has a lot of heavy stuff. And if you want, they have an entire acoustic album called Damnation. And there is some screaming on it, but not to, it's, it's you light. won't really understand. It's not it's really, for the kids. It's a texture more than it is a volume. Ooh. Check it out. It's, I, I don't like know. That. You know, it, it means a lot to me, but, you know, that's what happens. Well, we songs. talked about Josh's influences. What were yours, Mark, when you were kind of coming up into music? Um, I mean, yeah, I you know, know, so like guitar. My dad played guitar also. You know, um, he's not as like much of a legend. He never really took with it, but like he's got an awesome ear. He's like got You want to plug pitch. the family biz while we're on the topic? Um, yeah, you get some sausage down at Scavoni's, you know? I've been <laughs> slinging salami since I came out my mommy. <laughs> Um, you guys don't know Scavonis. It's in Sag Harbor right there on Main Street. Best beef in town. Best uh, best food, best little yeah, grocery Yeah, but you know, so there, he bam. was showing me guitar. I remember him showing me some stuff like Doobie Brothers riffs and stuff like that. He loved Marshall Tucker Band, which is cool because we got to open for them last year and a few years so ago. So sick in Montauk, right? Yeah. Um, but I think like the first CD I actually bought when I was 12 was Puff Daddy, No Way Out. Wow. You know, all about the Benjamins, you know, Surprises. and I, I didn't know what it was, but I knew that I liked the way the bass it. guitar sounded. And I was like, that's not a drum and it's not a guitar, but I like what that is, you know, and I didn't really know and anything my dad tried to explain, but until you like, did you play buy it from Long Island Sound? Mm, it might've been FYE in the comments, yeah. you know, I'm wow. pretty sure it was FYE wow. because I lived closer to Sag Harbor. So I forgot it was probably that that easier. Was there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Was it there? Or it might have been called Coconut Sand or some shit. I don't know. There was a few different <laughs> names for it. Ah, you know? Yep. But then the next CD I bought was Nirvana Nevermind because one Damn, of my, my cousins had it. Yeah, that, and then that's when like guitar now, you know, because I think I, I mentioned I guitar started with piano now. and then I, I my, found a drum set in my grandfather's attic and I started playing the drums for a few years and then, you know, Nirvana, I was like, I need to do this, you know, and that's when I really wanted to play guitar. Nirvana, Metallica, that was like, oh, I want to, you know, it just sounded so cool. And um, now, how has that changed from the bands you first originally listened to to what you listen to today? Has it changed it, much? It sort of like has, but it, 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 you know, I don't know. Right now, my favorite album that just came out, I think it's something Gatherum Ultimate. It's the latest King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard album. And it's got such, I don't even know how, it's the, the album has like, 20 tracks it's got a, a universe of, of music right there's there's literally yeah. stuff that yeah. sounds like slayer on it and then there's stuff that sounds like um paul yeah. simon paul simon yes <laughs> on the same album and yeah. it, it doesn't it's not wow it doesn't yeah. throw you off because you know it, it goes in waves it doesn't it doesn't really slap you right back and forth but yeah. now to your guys point though 
That um, you know, they threw you a universe of music. But yeah. what about you guys? And you're talking about being and doing in the single it's called world. Called Omnium Gatherer. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's the thing. It's like I'm not attached to the idea of releasing singles per se, but like, it seems like with the stuff that we recorded recently, to me, it seems like the most organic way to release it all. It would be through um, singles. It but, just it yeah. takes. We don't have. Unfortunately, yeah. we don't have the budget or time to focus like months in a row on finishing a whole album right now. So it's like we're not going to be able to get ten <laughs> songs recorded to this caliber that quickly. So if we want to get the stuff out there, we sort of have to release it. Release it in spurts. You know. Should we talk about the life work play balance here? I mean, we. I've talked about this with like Hello Brooklyn, who does you know dozens and dozens of shows a year that they same. Like they're doing songs and shows and things. Like, how hard is it to maintain the balance of like trying to write new music, playing shows all the time, scheduling stuff, having day jobs that you have to like still be able to pay bills and like make things happen? Like, how difficult is that? Like, and does it does it drain on the creativity? And I mean, I, I'm asking a stupid question because I know it's yes, but can we elaborate on it? Right. Yeah. I mean, of course, it's tough. I mean, Josh has made a wise and. <clears throat> also difficult decision to make musician his full-time job right now but he also has a gig with eagle mania uh he's you know he's playing with this really awesome touring eagles tribute band yeah you know in that so you're in both worlds all the time but that frees him you know but also you know and i took on this uh different sort of all-encompassing job in the landscape industry this year and I've never worked so much in my life, and I don't dislike my job, but I really don't have much time to do anything but perform the show. So it's been a little more difficult these last few months to create um, time. Yeah, but you know, it, it, it's it's not the whole year. You know, it does change. So hopefully, this winter will uh, there'll be more time. Oh yeah, in that industry right. too, you definitely have a little winter where you can get a little break. For right. Sure. Right. Yeah, a little downtime. So that's the idea. You know, it's always been hard balancing, especially living out here. So we have all the opportunities that come with the talk house and the people that the eclectic people and, uh, you know, potential exposure. But then to just physically be here, you know, you, you need like freaking 20 grand a year just to exist at the bare minimum. And like, I'm not talking, I'm talking to just right. Like You're just saying just to literally like, yeah, live like, here. Like, I mean, you need to rent a freaking closet in somebody's house, you know, right. It's just like, yeah. Now, do you think that the group of local musicians has diminished over the last 10, 15 years because of the housing prices, because of all the costs of all these things rising up very rapidly? Do you think that's kind of taken a huge chunk out of the local music market? I think that's one of several factors, for sure. Sure. Can Um, you talk about that a little bit? I mean... Well, venues can't afford to pay rent, so they just don't exist. Venues don't exist because of that, and because the rent prices are so high... They're not willing to pay musicians as much. But I don't know what anyone so. expects. I mean, you know, half of the community sold. You can't sell your cake and eat it, too. That's true. Yeah. You know, I mean, you sell all the... True. You know, you know you, yeah. if everything has been sold to people from outside, you can't be like, where'd everybody go? That is true. I mean, that is a valid point, and I think we all need to recognize and, that as locals, too, sometimes. It's taking a step back. It's like, hey, like, yeah, your best friend is still your best friend, but he sold and moved to Virginia, or okay. your best friend is sold and moved to Florida, and or it's also the, That's um, fine, that's but just know that that's, but that's what happened. So it's not just If you don't sell to a local of, for a reasonable price, that's why. It's not like some rich guy locals. with a briefcase knocked on the front door, like, shoving money in his face, being like, give me this house. He might have. I mean, some people, I'm sure. <laughs> some houses, sure. Some property, sure. But Your house you know, is in between mine and the ocean. For the majority of people, they saw the boom in the pandemic, and they 
were like, ooh, this is prime time fixings. Let me sell and get the I mean, the writing was on the wall long before the long before. pandemic. Long before. You know? The pandemic just blew it all up. Mm. But yeah. that's, that's, it is, though. In my opinion, and, you know, take all my opinions with a grain of salt, of course. But, you know, there's a big difference between, you know, out here in, say, the 80s, you know, when Nancy Atlas was playing five nights a week at the talk house. You know, right. that was... If you wanted to go out and see music, you had to actually, or say, a better way to say it would be if you wanted to have music at your establishment, you actually had to hire a band, you know? I mean, sure, there was, not not saying that there weren't DJs in the 80s, but nowadays, like and, and now. this, it is not my uh, intention at all to diss what DJs do. DJs are musicians as well. Let's make that absolutely clear. Right. Uh, but as far as being a live band, especially an original band, it's like th- there's not just as just not as many opportunities for us to actually do our thing out here because you don't need to hire well, a band. Well, and sh- I mean, if you could pay two hundred dollars for a DJ for a night for four hours, what do you need a band for? Exactly. No, and I mean nothing. It doesn't. What it is. I'm that's not even going to pretend into. not to understand that. Like you know, right. a certain audience <clears throat> is there for a DJ, and that was sure. exactly what I was talking about earlier in this whole thing with the experience of performing original music in a concert and the feeling and the experience between you and the listener is much different than other types of performances, DJs included. It's just, it's um, making music from your fingers on instruments that you created and discovered out of the air and then are showing people and sharing that emotion will always be different than other than versions anything, of music. Anything else, yeah, of yeah, course. It's its, own, it's its own experience. Yeah. Yeah. And th- there's unfortunately not as much of a, and because we were talking about before, just because of the saturation in the industry. And it's like, you know, when people are going out on a Friday night, they're going to want to hear Blink 182, all the small things, right? And there's nothing wrong with that at all. And they just want to dance with you know, DJ. Exactly. That's what I want to hear when I'm at the top. Right. They want to unwind. At 11.30, right? But I will tell you, every yeah. once in a while, I want to hear an original band yeah. doing their thing. And I want to oh, absorb yeah. that experience. Yeah, and that's what we were talking about. Full circle was all about the experience you're setting. And mm-hmm. I think you guys as a band, the Montauk project as a band, you guys do a brilliant job of providing a very unique, high energy experience from start to finish. And that's not a lot of, that's not, that's not something a lot of bands can say that they do. Like they're like we were talking about. There's songs you want to go grab a beer. There's songs you want to go do this. You don't want to leave any part of the show with you guys, and that's a real thing to build that. It takes time. It's not like something that's, oh hey, we just did. This. Like no, you guys put years of work into sounding gelled like you do. Even with like you guys are talking about, you both have busy lives. Even the lack of maybe practices you may have or may not have, or the lack of whatever, you guys still go out there and rip it and make it sound incredible well we're so all good we're is. all good listeners <clears throat> and that's what he was saying yeah. and to be a great Try musician to is to be a great listener right right i mean it all ties back yeah and you know the best note that you can possibly play is the one that will serve the song best amen sure yep in that moment Wisdom. why not right if, if i like, can yeah. pause and make a drum riff stop while the guitar player catches light it's almost like we both win because i'm stopping they're catching a little riff they get the love yeah. from the crowd, and then I come back into it, and they're like, oh, he came back on oh, a dime. Like, exactly. Because it's is not really relevant. like, you know, when you're trying to invoke emotion and experience, it's not about anyone seeing me do or play anything. It's about the entire song invoking an emotion in other people and if translating that correctly. Right. 
And we were saying what it takes to translate it all correctly. It takes the band. It takes all the musicians coming together, everybody syncing on the same wavelength, everybody listening to each other, like what we were talking about. And you guys are fortunate. You have a whole band of incredible, talented musicians who all listen, who all can play on dimes, can all play with whatever it is. I've played with Leander before. He's incredible. Yeah, great as a bassist. bassist. He can great pick bassist. up anything. He can play anything. Yeah. He can do anything. Great musician, really. Great, great musician. Yeah. Great ear for music. I mean, Jasper's yeah, an incredible ear. drummer. He's got like this Bonham esque. He does. He's like, our drummer. He's got this power to his drumming that is just like so. You you can feel it. Like it's in your rare heart at a show. It's a can, rare energy from his drumming. I yeah. can say that as a fellow drummer. I can say he has a very spirited way about his drumming that you yeah. can feel when you're at a show. He's all in. Absolutely. And 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 you guys on guitar just sound incredible. And, and, and our newest member, Mike Dodonna on keyboards. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely essential part of our sound now. Yeah. And and just to see, so if, like people want to hear your singles, just recap for them what your two is, two newest singles are. So they're called Bombshell and Highball, and they're both available on all streaming platforms. And we actually do have a music video that we shot for Bombshell. Yep. That we shot recently at LTV Studios. Shout out to Michael Clark over at LTV. Yep. Look at that. And uh, Jason Nauer and Ganu Benton. Yep. They, nice. They produced it and edited it, yep. and they're great. Incredible. And before we let you guys go, plug your socials for everybody. It's The Montauk Project, right? On basically yep. everything? Yeah. Uh, at The Montauk Project for Instagram and Facebook. I think on... Uh, on Twitter, it's the Montauk Proj, but honestly, we don't use that. We just have it like redundantly posted. And is there a website too? Yep, the Montauk Project Music.com. The Montauk Project Music.com. We're here with Mark Scavoni and Josh Leclerc. Just crushing shit. Sherman. Yeah, man. Sherman. Great to have been here. Thank you very much, Ryan. Thank you so much for yeah. coming on, and I can't wait to see you guys play in August. And this has been great. We're going to get you guys back on once the EP's out, and we're going to be doing a little recap. Sounds great. Love oh, yeah. To. Love it. Yeah. Thanks, man. Cheers. Cheers. Well, that concludes another episode of Highly Educated, and I just wanted to let you know, if you need anything, I'm talking anything grocery, grocery, baby. Screw Stop and Shop. We don't play that game. We go to Shavoni's Market in Sag Harbor, Okay. We got real Italians cutting the deli meat. We got real people behind the counter. They got the fresh flowers. They got the produce. They got the fresh meats. They got the fresh bread. They have it all. Craft beer, craft wine, you got it. The guys at Chivoni's will hold you down. Check them out in Sag Harbor. Go check them out on Instagram. Give them a follow. And have a good summer. Cheers. <laughs>